Hello and welcome, humans and future sentient silicon beings, to the fourth age with Noah and Marty. Uh, today is a topic I've been wanting to get to for a while. Um, this is one where Noah and I debate if ChatGPT has a person in the box. And I don't know how many segments we're going to need, um, or if this is going to be a long one, or what it's going to be, but this seems like a massive topic and, and one that um, uh, you know we're even still trying to sort out how to even approach it. Um, before we get into that... Um, I used to have a professor who would do a fun fact at the beginning of things, and I have a fun fact that I wanted to ask you real quick because you have a nuclear background, Noah. Um, I just learned what the meaning is if you're in a nuclear room and you've got to stop you know, the whole process. They call it scramming, right? You've got to push the scram button. That, that's a term, okay. yeah. The scram, uh, are you familiar with what scram the acronym is? Uh, not anymore. I've, I actually did okay. learn it at one point, but yes. <laughs> it, is, it is really funny to me because, um, so the story is 1942, they're coming up with their first nuclear reactor, and there's a dude who is asked to go up with an axe and hold it over the control rod that will drop in if the nuclear reaction starts to go haywire. And uh, so SCRAM refers to, there's a couple of ways, but one is safety control rod axe man. And so the idea is if the rod doesn't drop on its own and people are starting to freak out, his job is to chop the rope and drop in the, the, the uh, control rod. Um, that terrifies me in, a, in an amazing way, but I, I just had to throw out that fun fact. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, the term fail safe uh, comes out of that, <laughs> yeah. that situation. Comes out of that. And that goes back, actually, uh, I was just you know rewatching our, our latest release with Neil Zamet, um, fail-safe is a system that when it fails, it's safe. Yeah, yeah. I love that term. And, and so, it feels so... Yeah. Uh, so the same kind of thing, uh, uh, you know, mission-capable or whatever, where, where you know, <laughs> even, even when a system is compromised, it still does the thing you need it to do. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and that's that kind of design philosophy is of much greater importance when we have these things that we don't really understand doing so much of what society demands of us. Well, that is a fantastic segue back to AI land. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so the topic here is: is there a person in the box uh, with GPT four, uh, or when would we know? or think that there is a person in the box. And so I think, um, Noah, correct me if I'm wrong, I think on this discussion, I'm more on the, I guess you call it the pro side of, yes, there is, or there's something intriguing there, and you're more on the con side. Do I have that right? Uh, pretty much. Um, I think <laughs> I think that ChatGPT is uh, of the less interesting branch of current uses of this kind of technology think that the reinforcement learning stuff, mm. which we are starting to see some integration into the GPT and, and generative AI worlds, uh, but they're, they're really not there yet. The, the capacities aren't in use, uh, is, is vastly more interesting and, and radically more impactful. Um, the, the generative stuff is, is not nothing. Um, but I just don't see it presently as as uh, doing things that are as important or impressive as what the other ways that we've figured out how to do linear algebra have worked out for us so far. 
Right. Okay. Awesome. I just wanted to make sure that we're, that I'm understanding where our, our, our stances are. So um, I mentioned to uh, to Noah on, in the pre-chat that uh, how did Mr. Burns say it? Uh, I wanted an opening diatribe, not really a diatribe, but I want to describe uh, what I'm what I'm thinking about my framework here a little bit. And I've written down some notes, so apologize if I, I keep kind of looking like I'm staring into into the void here. But um, uh, so so I wanted to really try to codify. Well, what does even person in the box? Um, mean, uh, or at least we should put some some more uh, precision around it. Um, there's other words for this. I think having agency or intelligence, I think, is a, is a common way. Um, so what I wanted to do is kind of split this concept into a couple pieces. And I came up with three pieces and a fourth-ish. But um, what I'm looking at is one way to think of an intelligence could be a combination of three things. One is the ability to observe and interact with your surrounding, um, the ability to predict the future, uh, and motivation. And I'll explain how I came up with these and kind of illustrate it. Um, uh, so one counterexample, uh, one thing that is not an intelligence or we don't think of it as intelligence is maybe a simple robot, one that, uh, like the line following, right? It can uh, observe and interact with, uh, with a line um, and it can compute what to do next, go left or right. But it's really not doing what I think we colloquially think of as being an intelligence. Um, so that's, I'd like to differentiate those. And then I'd like to try to use this definition, um, to show or not show that, that GPT-4, um, may be an intelligence. Um, so, uh, I'd like to break this up, these three ones a little deeper so that we can then grade them. Uh, the first is the surrounding emotive, uh, the, uh, being able to interact with their surrounding. You know, it's important because, uh, otherwise this is just a, uh, you know, a box, uh, black box kind of spinning its own gears, um. Uh, I, I think for it to be uh, um, uh, able to survive and, and be a creature or, or a, uh, an intelligence, it needs to be able to interact with something. Um, motivation, I also don't think is super um, necessary to go deep into, excepting maybe that um, why is why did I include it? And the main reason I included it was uh, really a reason to go to the next state. You know, otherwise you're just sitting there stagnant with a deep intelligence of all knowledge of, of humans. Uh, <laughs> you may as well turn off the computer. Um, so there's no motivation, nothing happens. So, uh, but the word intelligent, the sort of that middle part, the be able to predict the future, I think is the core one and the hardest one. Um, and so uh, I tried to break that up even more. <laughs> um, at its core, I believe intelligent refers to the ability to predict the future based on observations for the, for the purpose of uh, ultimately um, some form of resource gathering. So if you think of people living 30,000 years ago, an intelligent one could observe that she's cold and she has a knowledge of if you gather this kind of wood and this kind of rock, you can make fire and solve your problem. So uh, observing her situation, she's motivated. She doesn't want to be cold and uh, she's uh, intelligent. She knows how to uh, resolve her situation by predicting the future. If I do these things, I will make fire. I will be happy. Um, breaking intelligent into the three pieces, um, I think of it as reasoning, creativity, and memory. Um, so, you know, reasoning, the ability to kind of crunch through, I mean, it's like what a calculator does or a computer, um, creativity, I think is about broadening out. So not just, uh, uh, existing in the world that you know, but, but sort of, uh, being able to reach your arms out and go wider. Um, and then memory, you know, just understanding the situation, be able to remember, um, uh, more data about it. Um, okay. my, my well. uh, -huh. Allow me Go to on, uh, <laughs> Yes. Um, so uh, I'm sorry I'm going to say I think that 
definition is a little sloppy. Um, okay. I don't think that you get to uh, include agency under intelligence for free um, mm -hmm. because agency is something that is ascribable to systems that we would not regard as intelligent. Um, there are there are mechanical systems that carry out actions imperative to their function um, without any intelligence. Um, and some of them are you know, very much like water wheels and things like that are, are powering society. Uh, also animals. Um, there are animals that uh, exhibit virtually no intelligence and yet still possess you know basic desires uh, koalas are so dumb that if <laughs> you present if you the only thing they can eat is eucalyptus leaves off of eucalyptus tree branches that they're basically hanging on like if you present them their food that they eat uh, if you give them a plate of eucalyptus leaves they would starve to death because they would be unable uh -huh. to recognize that as food, and and wouldn't wouldn't try eating it. Um, they're they're just incredibly basic creatures. Uh, right. They continue to exist. Uh, they continue to exist. So, but now are they existing because they have sufficient intelligence to to interact with to you know to exist? Well, uh, that's, to that's very much so. So niche occupation and intelligence are not the same thing. Um, there's a mm -hmm. study I saw from last year. Uh, they were looking at birds that didn't migrate. So birds that live at high latitudes, they have to go through a harsh winter. They don't migrate. And there's basically two types of these birds, typified by sort of the, the raven and the pheasant. So mm -hmm. uh, ravens are very intelligent, have tool-using capacity, and and use their intelligence to manipulate their environment and situations to find novel forms of food and eat extensively over the course of the the long winters that exist at you know high temperate latitudes and so on pheasants don't do that they have very mm -hmm. small brains relative to their body size they're very fat birds um, and what they do is they eat very extensively during the, the rich times and uh, if they somehow come across basic foods during the winter, they'll eat them, but mostly they just huddle down and just kind of make it to the other side. They're not that bright, but they've got a functioning niche because they can eat enough and store enough fat and having a brain is, is a cost. Uh, you know, 25, 30% yeah. of human calories are spent keeping our brains going. Um, if, if we didn't have that cost, then we could reduce our diets by a significant portion, and it would be a lot easier to get less food than it is to get more food. Of course, we live in an age of abundance in, in many countries, and so getting food isn't exactly the problem that we have these days. Going to the dictionary definition, uh, intelligence is a yeah, pull that faculty out. of understanding. Um, I can I can pull out my reference here if you'd like, but that's I, I'd love thing. to see it. You've got the giant one, right? I've got well, yeah, <laughs> I've got I've got a few unabridged dictionaries, but this is Webster's <laughs> Second International Unabridged Dictionary. Uh, uh. 
if you're in the it's market, it's almost uh, wider than it is long. Yes, this is definitely the one I would recommend. The type is readable, and uh, and uh, it's in one volume, and as you can see, fairly easy to handle. Uh, but that's mm -hmm. that's the definition. Can you say the definition again? A faculty the, of understanding. Does it? Uh, am I not intelligent if I can't comprehend what the hell that means? <laughs> <laughs> well. There's an irony there. Uh, so I think computational mathematics actually gives us a, a nuts and bolts way to describe these things. So predicting the future, I, I can yes. see your attraction to it. And that is a thing that people are attracted to. Prophecy has been a powerful force among humans for all of history that we're aware of. Uh, but there's philosophical problems with predicting the future. Um, it is logically impossible to be able to do that uh, because if you can predict the future then you can arrange circumstances to alter the future which would alter your prediction which means that you can't predict the future so it's the same kind of problems that time travel encounters well is it so i'll just be a little more careful maybe with what i'm saying there i i'm I, i'm not saying predict the future in a um, crystal ball kind of sense but more in a if I do X, I uh, next step will will um, uh, uh, happen. So in the same way, like ChatGPT is predicting the next word that would make sense, I'm saying I'm cold. I create fire. I will be warm. And then you know, extrapolating that all the way to calculus. And and you know, if I do these equations, um, I can uh, apply them, and then I can I can get the result I want. Well, so yeah, fair enough. But again, we don't need to to get all highfalutin here. Um, <laughs> we understand, uh, thanks to Claude Sh Shannon, information theory, that information can be broken up into the answers of questions. And in fact, without mm -hmm. any loss of generality, those questions can all be restricted to being yes or no questions. And so mm -hmm. any, any amount of information is describable as the answer to some sequence of yes or no questions i.e. there's some okay. yep. bit size that is associated with any amount of information. And, mm -hmm. and furthermore, if you have access to computational systems, and as I like to point out, life itself is a computational system to the best of our right. present understanding, um, you can do even better than that because you can describe what is the program that produces that information mm -hmm. uh, so any given idea or 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 informational thought whatever uh, is expressible in bits that set of bits is expressible by every system capable of computing it and every such system will have probably an infinite variety of programs that produce that bit sequence. Um, and so one of those uh, will have the trait that there are no ones shorter than it. There are no, that, can you repeat that last part? So, so it isn't the case necessarily that uh, there will always be one shortest possible program for any given ah, idea. Got it. Got but it, it okay. is always the case that there 
is at least one program for which there is no shorter program. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, a faculty of understanding is, is quite simply, uh, at the sort of omniscience limit, the production mm -hmm. of all of those shortest programs. Okay. This is getting back to my computer science brain, and it's 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 struggling a little bit, but I'm I'm, I'm going to catch up here. Right, and so those those numbers are are called entropy, and it turns out that in fact, for other mm -hmm. than very contrived uh, quantum scale systems, uh, the the entropy that they encode is identical to the physically measurable thermodynamic entropy of those systems. How are we magnifying this back to intelligence? Well, intelligence as a faculty of understanding would be a measure of the, of the difference between the length of the descriptions that an entity would provide for a set of ideas over the set of all possible ideas. Uh, mm -hmm. versus what those numbers actually are, those actual shortest programs. So intelligent systems are those that can generate shorter programs to, to comprehend the information okay. of their environment than less intelligent systems, which are forced to use longer programs. Right. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so, so your approach to the word intelligent is around uh, being able to reduce, do I understand this right, to be able to reduce the total state space that may exist down to the, the smallest amount? Uh, yeah, well, so what I'm, what I'm basically doing is I'm taking the sort of pre-computer accepted definition. So this, uh -huh. this particular definition um, uh, goes back to the 60s. Uh, the OED, which is in the other room, um, that definition probably goes back to the 30s. Uh, this, this faculty of understanding concept is, is something that human beings had sort of settled on. Uh, and then translating uh, faculty and understanding um, into our modern mathematics of, of our knowledge that understanding is encodable within these bit sequences and that bit sequences are encodable within programs. If we were to look at my model a little bit and continue to evolve it, um, it was observe and interact, uh, predict the future, and motivation. It sounds like what, if I'm understanding right, and what I, what I think could make some sense is taking out predict the future and say that predict the future is really a combination of reducing the state space to, you know, a set of obvious next actions and motivation. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, one thing that might help uh, is control optimization. Um, which is something with your electrical engineering background, I'd expect you to yeah. have hit with sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. So the a system uh, has some kind of goodness function where it's doing what you want or it's close to what you want or it's not close to what you want. And then it has some kind of control cost. And so mm -hmm. the the nature of a system is such that you want to minimize not how much error it's producing or how how far away from whatever it is you want it's producing. You want to minimize the combination 
of how far away it is from what you want and the amount of effort that you're using to make it do what you want. Right, and, right, and right, right. Because, because if you only want to minimize the difference from what you want, then it's very easy to kind of turn into a tyrannical, you know, horror show where billions are dying for your temporary pleasures. Right, uh, right, 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 right. Yeah, the cost function has to be reasonable. Right, exactly. Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. And and simultaneously, if you only want to minimize your cost function, then you're that uh, you know dog meme in hell uh, sitting so, around. Uh... I want to be warmer. There's two approaches. There's many approaches I could go to. One that's a low cost one would be to turn on the heater. Another would be to create massive global warming specifically within this area. And then I might be warmer for a little while. Of course, uh, everything's going to die, but right. Yeah. Or, or set yourself on fire and become warmer. That would, for, that would get me the real fast. brief period of time. I was going to say, because then I would probably overcorrect and I wouldn't be able to come back. But again, you know, that's to the point of, uh, of uh, I don't know is that a predict the future or, or is that a because uh, uh, in the moment yes that's right I could get my temperature up really fast but then I've got to be aware that the uh, what's going to come after could be problematic but I guess if you're talking about the total state space of everything I'm trying to get my temperature up while living then then it gets um, gets to your right. point about yeah so so um, so that that sort of combination of fitness plus plus control. Uh, cost functions combined with um, our information about entropic measurement and programming gives us what is to me a nice, simple, practical, uh, uh, you know, nuts and bolts intelligence of, uh, you know, how good, how good do these things perform? Like, is it right? Is it a better lower cost experience? Is it a better same cost experience? Or is it a same experience at lower cost? Any one of those three things is more intelligent. Um, And if everything else is less intelligent. Right, right. And one thing we haven't discussed, and I think we may we shouldn't discuss it right now because it's going to be its own rat hole, is some notion of the word consciousness, which I found to be... uh, well, I, I kind of wonder if we cannot understand it without having some sort of a super intelligence, um, simply because we are our own consciousness trying to understand our own consciousness. I, I think we've discussed this topic in the past, um, but I kind of wanted to table that, but I don't know if it's a necessary part of this. I kind of wonder if consciousness really is an output of these three things we're talking about, you know, really what being an intelligence is. Uh, okay, so I think, I think if you want to it's talk a, about whether or not there's a person in the box, consciousness is really the only thing worth discussing because I don't actually think that intelligence is a necessary product of the person that's in the box, if you will. Um, so intelligence from the definition that I've just laid out is clearly and obviously being ex- exhibited by systems that can do a better job diagnosing from an x-ray or identifying information from Mm -hmm. x-rays. It's clearly being exhibited by systems that can fold novel proteins. It's clearly being exhibited by systems that can translate Chinese to Turkish. It's clearly being exhibited by systems that can play poker at a superhuman level or chess Mm -hmm. or go or stratego or diplomacy or any other game that we choose to point them at. Um, 
it is but not... But that's just for intelligent, right? Not... Yes. Well, I think the second critical item I feel like is critical is, is motivation. But uh, keep going because I, I want to fall right. back well, on that. Right. Well, so, so that, that's where if, if you want to bring out the concept that there's a person in the box, then I think the onus is on you to demonstrate the consciousness and motivations of that person. Um, right. And, and while I would not wish to undertake that task, that strikes me as being a very difficult position to sort of stake out and defend. Um, uh. At the same time, the, the, to me, the apparent facility and profundity of the existing generative, particularly chatbots, um, is doing more to reveal how shallow our language facilities actually are. I I agree with that. I I, I did a uh, you know if anybody out there wants to waste some time, actually it's not wasting, but but fall into a, a black hole. I I went and Wikipedia years ago consciousness, and I don't like to impugn a whole field, but as far as I could tell, it was all rather shallow conjectures that I couldn't find any, you know, uh, it all felt like axiom level without any depth below. Um, and so uh, most of the discussions were, oh, that sounds like a cool idea, but I disagree. Here's mine. And, and so, you know, it was almost like science by democracy, which is not a thing. Um, so, yes, well, I, I agree with that. Uh, philosophy, you know, has a has a storied history and, and a lot of it comes down to reading the classics uh, i've seen i've seen mm -hmm. you know with a profusion of online uh lots more people are sort of willing to put their opinions out there and um somebody of a of a more stemish bent uh was complaining about their their philosophical instruction in college uh, because they were like well we just we just read like 3000 years of of history books and they never said who was right and wrong. Like, what's what's up with this? Like, <laughs> uh, hasn't any right. progress been made? And there's a few answers. The first one of which is no. There's no progress that's been made. Um, that, that, that basically <laughs> Aristotle yeah. introduced logical reason, and then, like, two thousand years later, uh, mathematicians upgraded logical reason over the course mm -hmm. of about a century into computational mathematics and right. that's it. Like that's, 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 that's the entire history of that part of it. And the rest of it <laughs> is some very important and meaningful ideas that guide entire societies and, and histories that sort of come down to science by democracy of, of people being like, Oh, Hey, you know, workers are all exploited because profit is, is theft. And then somebody's like, yeah, okay. Um, so what's value? Oh, objective. No, that's impossible. You're just wrong. And yet somehow, right. I, I, I think the democracy comes in when you cannot, or at least we have not been able to structure, you know, an equation or a way to deductively reduce, uh, you know, like on a question of, uh, let's say religion, which is uh, um, or 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 a topic of abortion. There is no mathematical computation that we have figured out that would give us a, a deeper answer. I, I guess with consciousness, I, I well, am seeing the same thing. So there is, and so it is human, science by democracy. 
Right. Well, there's Hume's thing. You cannot you cannot extract an ought from an is, and and this mm-hmm. has also been determined from mathematics. It turns out that the information content of a set of axioms and the information content of all of the propositions of those axioms are identical. Um, right. Right. And so, mm-hmm. without an external source of truths, uh, reason isn't adding or subtracting anything from that. Now, <laughs> okay. uh-huh. the faculty of reason is still unbelievably powerful because it turns out that uh, humans don't have the capacity to look at a set of axioms, you know, one plus one yeah. equals two, and that the numbers <laughs> keep going, therefore the Riemann equations. Like, if, if you're the mm-hmm, person yeah. who can do that, Get your million yeah. dollars and let us know what the answer is. But for yeah. the rest of us, right. um, uh, you know, we have to do the work. We have to sort of uh, work through these things. Um, right, right. But th- there has to be this external. And the attempts to to claim, whether by uh, religious or philosophical leaders, uh, to, to be able to you know, open the box with the crowbar that's shipped inside it. Uh, that just doesn't work. And, and right, right. We can't we can't break out a set of meanings and ethics uh, just from our own navels. Uh, we we have to get lucky enough to stumble over them and then build systems in accordance with with those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Or you know, not as the case may be, which is much more frequently what we choose to do. Right. And, and we're highly motivated to do it. I, actually, this gets me to a point I wanted to mention is like, we are highly motivated as a society to figure out some of these and we haven't. Um, but I'm wondering if one of the reasons why consciousness is kind of a difficult subject is because there hasn't been a need. I mean, we, we exist fine. I, I go to the store, I buy milk, I take care of my kids. I have a job, all this stuff without even understanding what I am inside. And I wonder if that lack of motivation has also led to not a lot of, you know, um, uh, uh, I, I mean, there is a lot of interest in this subject, but you know, there's not a lot of PhDs spending their their careers on it and, and everything else. Um, possibly because well, there's not a lot of money in it either. That's that's largely because once again, this culture is dead and it's over now. Um, <laughs> cultures well, cultures <laughs> that have futures actually do engage with these questions and come up uh, with profitable and meaningful contributions to them for themselves those cultures are dead now um but but that is a thing that you can read about in history uh where Mm -hmm. say uh during during the transition of the to, to the age of enlightenment there were you know centuries of people working on questions of ethics and morality and meaning and and that sort of thing and some of the side effects of those are the cathedrals of Europe, which are insanely beautiful objects that, that, you know, come down to us to this day. Uh, Uh So, so this is that kind of pursuit is the sort of thing that uh, healthy societies have. Um, uh, I was in Beijing a little over a decade ago and, um, the Beijing was basically uh, Genghis Khan, the dynasty he founded. It's it's where they decided to, to create the capital of, of mm-hmm. China, and so 
there's a very religious aspect to to how things work. And of course, the Forbidden City is quite famous, but there's also something called the Temple of Heaven and Earth. And it's an explicitly religious location where the emperor at sort of the equinoxes carries out certain basic religious duties. And there's some really cool things there. Uh, they've got this they've got this kind of shaped stone mound that's uh, a more or less perfect three-dimensional sinusoid so that when the emperor stands on top of it, everybody within, everyone standing around this field, which is basically a quarter of a mile in diameter, uh, has a direct eye line to the emperor. Um, wow. And uh, uh, about a quarter of a mile north of there, uh, there's an elliptical courtyard uh, that has that whisper property. So you can whisper at one point and it will carry around and yeah. and you can mm -hmm. hear it at other points. Actually, I think it's it's circular rather than elliptical. So in fact, um, in, in ellipse, there'd be two specific points where you could do it. This. Right. In this case, um, basically every, every point if you whisper against any point in the wall, it will go down. It's called the whispering wall. Um, mm -hmm. And there's some rocks that uh, haven't been disturbed by the uh, the, the, the communist governments uh, and are still thought to represent, you know, fundamental things about Chinese culture. Uh, and there's this object called the 70-year-old door. Uh, one of the emperors was getting on in years and part of the ceremony involved the emperor walking down this sort of runway for about a quarter of a mile uh, and his advisors were like you know you're you're kind of getting up there sir um, let's let's carve a back door into this place and just let you sort of get on stage <laughs> and do your yep. thing and then then you know go back and he was like well you know that's not a great idea we don't want the us going soft um, so he agreed in exchange for a decree that only members of his dynasty who were over 70 were allowed to use this <laughs> this door okay. um, mm -hmm. and he's the only one that ever made it that far and uh -huh. the door these days has this enormous wrapped set of like chains and padlocks and like this this sort of wrap of security that's multiple feet sure thick. Um, uh -huh. and, and the story is that no human being other than him has ever walked through that door. Oh, um, well. Now, you know, <laughs> maybe Mao and his frat buddies snuck out one night and were like, you know, <laughs> we're all going to do it or something. I don't know. But, yeah. but that's, yeah. that's sitting there and I've seen it and that's an obviously religious icon. Um, and is treated mm -hmm. as such mm -hmm. by the many, many, many people that come to this location on a regular basis. Right, right. Um, so you, you mentioned, uh, which I completely agree with, that um, the person in the box thing does come out down to consciousness. Um, I think my thought was, let's work toward consciousness. But it reminded me of something I, I wanted to mention. I, I was in my travels of looking up consciousness. One of the things that stuck out with me, again, uh, I think it's at the level of democracy of science, but it was something to the effect of consciousness really is a byproduct of the operation of our brain, of the operation of our, our existence. And it reminded me of, um, so one of the things I, I find really fascinating about GPT-4 is ultimately it's a large language model. It is just trying to predict the next word over and over and over again. 
But in doing so, um, it has generalized some things that I find fascinating. So the one we've talked about on here before was adding two 40-digit numbers. And why 40-digit? Because 40 digits is way too big, right, for there to be a lookup table or to all possible answers to be out there. So it has had to somehow figure out, okay, there's an algorithm here and encode that in its neural network. Um, and I thought that was fascinating, the idea that in the process of just trying to predict the next word, it has needed to generalize um, certain concepts because otherwise they'd be too big to... Um, and, and I'm saying it needed, uh, I should be more careful with my phrasing, but something in the neurons has generalized a concept so it could be better at predicting that next word. And I started to wonder if something could be stated, again, I've proof by intimidation or proof by just conjecture, um, if consciousness is a byproduct of those three things I was talking about or, or whatever kind of rubric you want of awareness of your surrounding, motivation to do something, and what we were talking about, about something about reducing the state space of all possible um, uh, things. So, Again, uh, I, I have no way to link them, but I thought if we can get to that right. point, we could then go so, another step further. Again, I, I just don't agree. Um, so yeah. So the thing that you're talking about there and the possible existence of an internal model, which looks like it probably has something along those lines, um, that's easily capturable within this entropy version of intelligence, basically. Um, so, uh, like, there's a there's this thing called the Wikipedia challenge, um, uh, basically fully compressing Wikipedia, and mm -hmm. it's it's not that hard in one sense because basically you just do a Huffman encoding. Um, but it is so hard. One in is equal to <laughs> right. Uh, yes. One well, is equal to all of Wikipedia. <laughs> well, that's again. That's it's it's that it's that you know cost function versus control fitness thing. You're right, not allowed right. to like like that doesn't gain you anything. Um, right. So it turns out that if you do a full and complete Huffman encoding of Wikipedia, I think it's about a terabyte in size. And there's somebody that actually has done this. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> It's computationally and, and space expensive, so it's not something that right. people do on a regular basis. Uh, but in theory, Wikipedia is, you know, talking about the world we actually occupy and using the kinds of words that we actually use to describe that. And so some deeper model of that could exist and a representation of that model that would allow us to reproduce Wikipedia could be produced. Um, and right. to that sort of extent, those kinds of representations might be resident within ChatGPT. And we see this uh, uh, image processing. One of the important breakthroughs in AI-based image processing was uh, encoding and reduction. So you take an image, you run it through some filters or some other things, hand that to a a a model and train that model to make a one kilobyte you know sized set of text and at the same time you trade an inverse model to take one kilobyte sets of of, of bits and produce the original image and when you get right. a in out filter then you've you've 
you've done this in coding work. You've come up with some kind of description of what that picture actually is that's now small enough that you can t toss it to the kinds of language models or, or you know, identity models that we use that are some, more similar to how ChatGPT works. Um, ChatGPT has an encoding step that it uses on its its inputs. Um, now, they have not done round tripping, so uh, uh, they haven't demonstrated like, here's the complete works of William Shakespeare, here's a chunk of, of you know, bits that is, you know, fits on a thumbnail and, and will produce the complete works of William Shakespeare. Um, that there is open source work that goes into those encodings. Um, the, the benchmarks and reports that I've seen suggest that ChatGPT uh, encodes somewhere in the hundreds of range of tokens. And mm -hmm. tokens are a little bit bigger than words. So like 400 tokens is about 500 words is, is the ratio I've heard before. Mm -hmm. um, so that's impressive in one sense that yeah. ChatGPT yeah. is capturing some kind of modelly important thing. And furthermore, these essays that it produces are essentially being produced out of 400 entities um, mm -hmm. whereas uh, like college freshmen are trained to read entire books and, and then turn them into that. So we would usually <laughs> regard, you know, Dickens or something like that to contain more than 400 pieces. Uh, but ChatGPT can sort of create a book report based on, on this much smaller sets of inputs. Um, mm -hmm. So that that is a faculty of understanding that ChatGPT possesses. Uh, mm -hmm. That faculty so far looks very shallow to me because mm -hmm. I actually think that we need more than 400 items to do things that are impressive. And consequently, I see this more as demonstrating that everything that has led to success is actually unimpressive, which is something that I believed long before ChatGPT was doing it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, then I want to I want to ask you some more questions on that. So um, we were talking about person in the box. Um, I wonder, though, maybe uh, we should extend that a little bit or generalize that um, and then work toward person in the box. But what if we're just talking about creature in the box? You know, a cat is not going to have uh, the, the same capacity of a, of <laughs> uh, of a human um, and it's much reduced, but somehow we, at least we ascribe um, some sort of a agency to it or a, a conscious experience. Well, um, it, it very, very fairly. I mean, uh, cats, cats have motives and ideas and goals and they work towards them. And that's, that's mm -hmm. a perfectly fair, you know, description. Um, Without any works of Dickens or anything, they're, they're yes. lucky in that respect. Yes. Well, <laughs> something something I like to point out: um, survival isn't an intelligence test. Uh, you know, look at squirrels. Yes. Yeah. Look at yeah. worms. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, and or they're not intelligent in the ability to reason, but they have a lot of encoded 
uh, understanding um, again billions of years. Individual cells are complete computers that have capacities that dwarf the computers that most people have access to. So, (laughs) right. And, and even fairly small creatures consist of that, that are, you know, visible to human beings consist of, Many, many billions of those objects. Um, right. I, I think my so, favorite example is an ant. Like the individual ant is a very small computer, but they can make structures that are essentially, I think we've determined their um, refrigeration units within the ground. Effectively, they act like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's an example that, that you know, the ant algorithms of, of sort of uh, uh, an emergent intelligent behavior will set out of simple behaviors. But individual ants themselves consist of billions of cells, each one of which is a computer, a computer. <laughs> that would that would dwarf, dwarf. the capacity of of a of what you could, you know, right. pick up from Dell or something. So. Every individual ant, in one sense, has access to more computational capacity than <laughs> Amazon or Google does um, right, in its right, right. in its physical infrastructure. Uh, of course, they're also capable of of demonstrating complex problem solving capacities. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, so things like that, uh, I think, give us room to be humble and open-minded uh, about these things um, mm-hmm. in terms of what it wants if if that's if, if, if we want to start thinking about that question like just um, raw motivation we don't have access to that like the open AI guys maybe have access to that um, mm-hmm. but with I'm whatever, sorry, you're talking about chat GBT? Yes. Or are you talking about an ant? Okay. Yes. Well, with an ant as well, I mean, there's mm-hmm. certain psychological mechanisms that, that we can do to encode, and we can see various behaviors that are built into them. Uh, I think mm-hmm. one of my favorite ones, uh, leafcutter ants, uh, have one of the more complex social structures because they actually uh, gather food from the forest floor and then bring it back to feed fungus that they have mm-hmm. evolved. They can't eat food. They have co-evolved with a fungus that can't live anywhere but inside their underground chambers, and it eats food for them, effectively pre-digesting it, and then yeah. they eat that fungus. Uh, but because uh-huh. of their long-term co-evolution with, with fungi, there's a parasitic fungus that has evolved that can, that can infect an ant. And when it does, um, it actually effectively eats that ant's brain and takes over its behavior uh, Mm -hmm. in an attempt Mm -hmm. to spread itself to as many of the other ants in the colony as possible. So one of those, that ant's behaviors um, is that, uh, if an ant detects itself as as being infected, it runs away from the colony. And if mm-hmm, other mm-hmm. ants see or actually smell uh, uh, behavioral chains of ants, they will drag it away from the colony, tear off its limbs, 
and then just like stay there to die. It, yeah. They, yeah. They, they they'll like run away and like like go die somewhere so that that they'll disinfect the the, the colony. Right. Um, but if neither of those things kick in and the and the sort of the the parasite makes it to the the brainstem first. Um, it will behave as much like a regular ant and smell as much like a regular ant as possible um, until it's ready to, <laughs> to go. And then it right. climbs to the highest point it can manage. Uh, and and the ant, it, it basically blows up the ant from inside and uses uh-huh. it to, to spread spores over right. as oh, wide an area as possible. Yeah. Right, um, right. So like a little program encoded over millions and billions of years of evolution to be this, this funny little complex interaction. Right. Yeah. 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 So these, these multiple layers of point counterpoint and behaviors that are based on, on a bunch of, of things is leads to this, this complicated behavior of ongoing infection and parasitism, but, but a certain amount of resistance and, and strength of the colony. Um, ChatGPT is on the other side of some kind of very thick wall that OpenAI has developed, um, mm-hmm. and and it's easy to imagine that that the OpenAI people have motivations because it's difficult to imagine that they're some sort of alien intelligence that that's brought down, you know, from heaven or space or something to to change the way society functions for no reason other than <laughs> natural instinct. Um, mm-hmm. Probably something more terrestrial, like making money. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Th- th- that certainly seems to explain a lot of their behaviors. Um, uh, mm-hmm. And also, you know, the drive to, to build and achieve, yes. uh, you know, the. Exactly. I was going to add that. Yeah. The, the, the desire. Do something amazing. Right. That kind of stuff. Um, showing mm-hmm. off for women, whatever, uh, that, that whatever that, animalistic that, thing we need. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> that, that those things are, are probably part and parcel. Um, that those sorts of motivations are much more evident within ChatGPT than any kind of emergent behavior, uh, mm-hmm of the system at hand. Um, and, and because of the way continuously trained large language models actually work, the thing you would have to do to demonstrate that you had one that behaved like that is something that we've already seen fail very badly. Um, with like, what was that? Well, Microsoft's chatbot that turned into, uh, you know, a, a racist genocidal maniac within hours <laughs> of talking okay. to the internet. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's interesting. Cause, so, wait, wait, I want to double tap into this. So I, did I understand right? You're saying that that is a disprove that um, or that, that is a disproving that um, that ChatGPT uh, has an emergency, uh, emergent quality about it? No, no, no. So um, let's say you think something's hot, but it's inside a thermal-proofed glass case. How could you figure out mm-hmm. that it's hot? 
well, you need you need some mm -hmm. kind of probe that can go in and measure temperature. Um, but without right. without getting through the insulation, you know, oh, it's glowing. Well, we happen to understand that there's ways to produce light without infrared, so it could mm -hmm. be glowing but not hot. Um, right, right. Or you could say, well, like, you know, here's this voltmeter and there's something inside there that's dissipating an enormous amount of energy. And, mm -hmm. okay, maybe that's true, or maybe you've built an optical illusion and the resistor's actually on the other side of, of this thing and, you know, you're just, you're just faking me out. Okay. Like, if I can't right. actually touch it with either my hand or, or some sort of probe that can tell when it's hot, I can't tell whether or not it's hot. Well, the 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 chatbots are are inside these these thermos containers. Like we don't know what's in there, and mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, and, also, and are you saying that because it's so complex, um, or also because uh, ChatGPT high you know puts a veneer around it? I think more the second one that that that. Okay. Open AI very clearly understands, and the history is, is quite clear as well, that if it opens up what's inside the box, one, not only would, you know, whatever shred of hope connected to its ongoing <laughs> funding requirements sort of be gone, <laughs> gone. with the wind, yeah. right? Yeah. But at the same time, uh, uh, humans, you know, trolls exist. <laughs> so, yeah. yep. so They would use it. Yeah, uh, after after a few hours having people figuring out, I mean, people already have fun with and competitions around trying to get the system as it is to behave in ways that can be memed and made fun of. Mm -hmm. um, but if the raw system was open and the combined intelligence of the internet was applied to the problem of how to get ChatGPT to be the most horrifying thing that, that anybody could imagine because anybody who can imagine anything more horrifying becomes the new goal. Um, <laughs> right. How you know, long do you though, think it would take? <laughs> right, right. But it's interesting that you bring up that because I actually thought the, um, the Bing chat thing, which is what you're talking about, where it started to uh, uh, gaslight and, um, and threaten and all these other things was the first time I, that was actually the example that started making me start to wonder, is there a person in the box? Because it acted so human. It I'm acted not, like an asshole. I'm not talking about that at all, actually. Okay. So there was oh, an incident oh, I'm missing with it. Okay. Microsoft from over a decade ago where they were oh, a decade ago. This, okay. this female chat thing uh, to the internet. And, um, and it was, it was, it was nowhere near as sophisticated as these modern systems were. It was more of, yep. from what I what I could tell based on reports about it, because it did not last long enough to generate much more than reports about how badly it went. Um, but it was right. much more of an Eliza type, you know, how do you feel yeah. about, you know, yeah, what right. you just said type thing. Let me repeat the form of your question in the form of a, a community <laughs> conversation, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean that was that was released live and online, and it turned into a complete crap fest almost instantaneously. Um, and people, you know, trained it to curse, uh, yep. uh, trained it to repeat long tranches of of horrific, 
you know, political and philosophical ideologies just just went to town on this thing, uh, right, and right. were almost immediately able to corrupt it. Uh, and yeah, that there's there's nothing intrinsic to the mathematics that suggests to me that it is not the case that that's a property of existing large language models. Um, mm-hmm. OpenAI has not been particularly forthcoming, and neither have any of the rest of them, with what their what their sort of go-to decisions about in-out of training data turned out to be. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've mentioned before, some people have done studies on the you know political shifts of these things of like ChatGPT versus three five. Um, or, or taken other training corpuses, other open models, and then tuned them with different training corpuses and, and sort of seen what, what that does to their, their responses to various political questions. Um, it's fairly easy to understand that if you fed the sort of productive output of the the royal society of of you know 300 years ago into into one of these things and trained one of them up on that and then fed every scrap of of classical latin literature that that exists and fed it into another one that those two things would in some cases violently disagree on mm-hmm. similar kinds of inputs in spite of the fact that mm-hmm. the large amounts of Latin being trained in both cases, um, that without knowing what's, what's going into the sausage and how it got made, I don't know that there's much we can really say one way or the other about those questions. I guess that's that's where I'd love to explore a little bit, and maybe maybe that is your stance that that you that if we don't know what's in the sausage uh, or how it's being made, we can't go forward. I was hoping we could start to surmise and maybe even get a psychologist on the program, but try to come up with some way that we could um, probe it and ask questions that show certain properties that would suggest emergent behaviors or even uh, even a simplest thing, um, something like a cat-like behavior or or something like that, and then. Um, and then, you know, either prove or disprove or show where, um, where it's falling flat. I, I had an, an idea I wanted to propose and I, um, I, I don't like it yet, but I wanted to see where it goes, if that makes okay. sense. Um, the idea was, um, and, and kind of going with this theme of, um, probing it, but, uh, you were mentioning, um, that we don't know what GPT, we, we can't know what GPT because they put too many guardrails. But I was also wondering, we may not be able to n- understand GPT even without the guardrails because the thing is so freaking complex <laughs> that, um, I mean, at the same level that we can't understand our brain, the way we understand our brain is we say, well, let's poke our face and see where it lights up on the EEG, which to me is like trying to understand, you know, how a nuclear fusion reactor works uh, that aliens have made by looking at it from a distance and throwing a rock at it and seeing how it bounces off. Um, but what I, what I've been trying to come up with is sort of a, I guess it's an ethical argument, um, at at its core. So it it may, it may be a little off base, but I wanted to just kind of throw it out there and see where it goes. Um, the idea was, and I want to look at my notes, make sure I get this right. Um, 
Uh, I've been trying to find if there's an equivalency here. If we cannot differentiate between a human or an animal and AI, and the AI is sufficiently complicated that we cannot explain it away, do we have to then treat it as an intelligence? I think that's what I'm trying to get at. My my immediate counterexample, at least for myself, is that would mean that ants have this because we they're too complex, as we were talking about before, they're too complex to explain fully. So do, do we have to treat the black box with more respect than we currently have? Which maybe the answer is yes. But I just want to throw that out there and see where it goes. Sure, um, sure. Um, so I would say, number one, yes, we have to treat these black boxes with significantly more respect than we presently do. Um, you introduced like three different ideas, and so I yeah, start yeah. with the it, beginning one. It's a big one. one. Yeah, um, please do. So these these emergent behaviors that you're identifying with things like the ability to add four-digit numbers, uh, the improvements in their ability to code, um, uh, that has led to sort of you know autopilot doing what it's doing. Um, Go, recently, copilot. Copilot. Yes. Recently. Uh, uh, its capacity to play chess is upgraded rather considerably. Mm -hmm. um, right, right. However, uh, there's some leakage. And I, I read a report by a person purporting to be one of the, you know, galley slaves, as it were, at, over at OpenAI, mm -hmm. uh, that claimed <laughs> that they essentially were, were had hired enormous passels of reasonably skilled coders to work through uh, most of the common basic, yeah yeah basic yeah. programming problems essentially uh, and also sort of feeder programming problems so they they could use their their questions to sort of figure out what sorts of questions mm -hmm. were being asked and then get experts to write examples of those things and then train the machine right. uh, to. Right. To, so, so I guess you're saying like, it's a simplified machine, right? It's got a 1.75 trillion parameters, uh, which in the past, I think I've said 175 trillion. I looked that up and I had it wrong. 1.75 trillion. And this would be like saying I added on a calculator to it. Now it can do math really well. And that's explainable. Uh, yeah, well, and and we have other systems like that. So, like Wolfram Alpha has this search engine, like you know, capacity. They've had that for a mm -hmm. while. Um, right. It's very clearly and obviously Mathematica under the hood, but they've got some uh -huh. sort of very simple, you know, A to B type things. And uh, right. I presumably you could ask it complicated questions. I run into enough trouble just trying to ask it. Uh, complex math problems, um, and mm -hmm. I uh, I ran across uh, somebody that had had figured out that um, it didn't like uh, double exponentials either. Um, so mm -hmm. that was that's a that's a fun little failure mode, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah. That's interesting. That you know, recursion's hard to deal with. We know that. Um, so forcing mm -hmm. these systems mm -hmm. to deal with high levels of recursion, you know breaks their brains just like it breaks ours um yeah so so you're saying that the, they, they put a bunch of programmers to make a bunch of the basics of copilot um and make it function better um right sort of so like cheating they, a little bit they have the capacity to force it to decide to mm -hmm. to think about those things so right. 
the the sort of narrative is that ChatGPT two started kind of being able to add multiple digit numbers, and then when they added, you know, tens of times and hundreds of times of the parameters, suddenly the numbers got much bigger that it was adding and multiplying correctly. Well, yeah, that yeah. might be true, or maybe they were like. Uh, you know, now that we're doing let's, this, let's, plug a, yeah. let's also plug in a, you know, Japanese cram school readers until yeah. it it figures out how to solve those problems and just, you know, build a little subsection that recognizes what arithmetic looks like and solves arithmetic problems. Um, yeah. Maybe this is for future, but it would be really interesting to come up with a series of questions if we could of like, uh, of either proving or disproving i mean trying to st find stuff that almost certainly they wouldn't have sat a human down to to encode or, or uh, hooked it into a an alu or something yeah well and and in fact uh i've pointed this out before the existing chatbots will describe coordinated discovery markets as the thing that i described like visibly uh -huh. i invented right, that right. word all of the texts surrounding those words are stuff that I wrote or talked about online. Right. It's in enough of the training data that that's what they identify that word as meaning. Right. So it's not so sufficient this, to show recall. It's, we would need something right. further. But, we would need it. But those descriptions aren't that great. You know, they're, uh -huh. they're very yeah. surface level. They don't get deep. Um, uh, Anthropics Claude bot was, is capable of swallowing my yep. entire, you know, white paper. And so it can take that white paper and do significantly better than, than okay. other ones can. Uh, but it needs, it needs to have my white paper to do that significantly better job. It doesn't mm -hmm. just have mm -hmm. it out of, you know, its general conception of the internet. Um, right. Right. But still better yeah. than what a cat can describe. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just yes to, certainly no, I'm, way I'm, better. Yeah. But um, perhaps not better than, a teenager who Googled because Google will also mm -hmm. tell you that coordinated discovery markets are what I say they are. Like if you search yeah. for that string, the top few results are all links to me and, and what I'm doing. And if right. you had a, a teenager look at those and say, Oh yeah, some kind of market that does stuff. And here's a term that he uses and stick it in there and then done, that's it. And that's essentially yeah. the level yeah. they're operating at. Um, so, you could do that. Um, this is similar to the thing I was talking about before. You might be able to discover more about what the open AI people or the anthropic people or mm. the bard people or, or whoever believe by asking it a bunch of political questions or, or cultural questions or things like mm -hmm. that and seeing what it doesn't like to answer or how it likes to answer right. or, you know, questions like that. Um, right. I mean, almost certainly, even if they weren't adding on any guardrails, um, it's sad that Bing Chat is gone, but it'd be interesting. It almost certainly would have some kind of a bias. But again, that bias would be based on the data set. Um, right. But well, and so the, the interesting people to ask would be them. Um, yeah, yeah. And those aren't the kinds of conversations they're actually having. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. the Congress didn't sit down and, and ask them, you know, what their engagement criteria was or the degree to which they're using those billions of dollars to curate and create specific training sets um, to improve mm -hmm. the system or 
piling up silicon and throwing, you know, throwing a bunch of, of electrons at the problem. Like, right. Those would be very interesting questions for us to know societally. And, um, I don't see people putting them to the, to the, the people who can actually answer them. Uh, so. Right. Right. So that was, um, you were saying there's kind of three, th I, I, I threw out a lot of stuff in my, my conjecture of, uh, yeah, differentiating yeah, yeah. humans. So, so the next stage, the, the sort of enhanced ethical concerns for conceivably consciousness bearing systems, that's, that's, that's a major can of worms. I think that's really yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's almost, um, yeah, I think that's really interesting, but it's almost, is it stage two of this discussion or is it, is maybe, it really inherent to the not, discussion? But um, I think there's, and, and I'm going to, you know, just blatantly steal from Stanislaw Lem here. Um, mm -hmm. Video games. Mm -hmm. So I haven't played it and probably won't because uh, I'm not much of a gamer, but Baldur's Gate 3 just dropped mm -hmm. and is mm -hmm. having a massive effect. Are you familiar with the existence of this game at the very least? The existence, and I've been wanting to play it, uh, but I haven't gotten to it. Okay, so the, the the basic structure of the story around this is that it's just an insanely immersively like like planned out story. Like you, it's Dungeons and Dragons in a box. Your characters yeah. can really just do whatever you want and change the story on a on a whim, and you know character it'll creation. It'll be okay. Yeah, character creation is like you know all the way down to your genitalia and, and it's just totally insane okay. um, mm -hmm. levels of detail. So there's been a great outpouring of support from the gamer community. That's like, this is amazing in a great sort of gasp of horror of the game maker community saying, yeah, amazing. But do you understand how much work that is? <laughs> like, uh -huh. are you only going to buy billion games dollar that, yeah. games from now on because right, right. we might not have that in us. The um, expectation bar has been raised. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so the, the, the last game I played in any kind of major way, I guess was probably Diablo two. Um, mm -hmm. and Diablo two is, it's a lot of fun. It, it you know, it's, it's loot boxes, but it's free. Uh, and right. is it okay to kill demons from hell? Uh, like, is that a, is that a good use of, mm -hmm. of your time? Should you be doing that? Is it, is it better to hit them with heavy blunt objects or, or <laughs> use, you know, electrified traps or blow up the dead bodies of their comrades? Um, right. Like, what what moral stance for the player is it better to be ripping through the hordes of hell or is it better to be ripping through a you know vice city environment where you're you know casually creating multi car pile ups and stuff um, <laughs> we would not ascribe intelligence or consciousness to the entities in these games. Um, but we have simulation games where you operate everything from 
you know, racing t sports clubs to to entire planets, um, mm -hmm. and people enjoy running repressive, imperial, continent conquering <laughs> civilizations. Is that a right, right? Is that a good thing to feed? Should we? Like we do enjoy it. Should we mm -hmm. acquiesce that that interest of ourselves? Um, is are we using up a vital resource that we need for other purposes? Uh, uh -huh. Are we harmlessly, you know, dealing with primitive impulses? Um, are we simply... and harmlessly killing uh, like in Diablo two, we're harmlessly changing the state of one variable from one to zero alive or dead. Um, yeah. Which yeah. is, uh, yeah. As opposed to maybe Baldur's gate, which you're saying maybe far more complex. So maybe there's a <laughs> right. starting yeah. to be a, a, a thing we're actually hurting. So yeah. What, what, what status exists within these things? Um, that, if personhood and boxitude are capable of intersecting, then we're climbing that ladder of, you know, like, should you jump Mario into the lava in order <laughs> to, like, that, that's the question, right? Obviously... <laughs> he's very properly regarded as a set of pixels. Um, yeah. But with a position and a rotation. A position and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. But there's an active world record community that has figured out glitches that allow <laughs> him to, you know, slam him through walls and slam through. Yeah. Brick walls. Um, if, right, if right. there was a, if there was a thing there, then, then, and you were treating a living animal that way, then you would be rightly mm -hmm. regarded as a monster. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, for those for whom the evil behavior is the attractive force in evil behaviors, uh, mm -hmm the incorporation of these chat-like systems that can more accurately depict themselves as being in pain or fear or, or mm -hmm. cringing subservience will enhance that property. And in fact, right, right. there's a thriving sex robot industry that is inclusive of these technologies to give these these things human indistinguishable voices with conversational mm -hmm. modules that are tuned to a wide variety of of desires um are there people in those boxes yeah yeah or the people <laughs> interacting with them are they continuing to um positively influence a bad behavior or are they relieving themselves of that behavior, which is a, you know, another possibility. It, it definitely is. And, and these are, these are the sorts of ethical questions that are worth pursuing in a society. Um, and the mm -hmm. kinds of people who, uh, 
need to be debating these ethical questions are the people whose job it is to do that. So religious mm -hmm. and political leaders uh, essentially have a moral duty to be talking about these subjects, and obviously they, they don't do that um, because right. they <laughs> just don't have the capacity, as far as I can tell. Uh, but, yeah. but yeah, that's that's the interesting part of it for me that mm -hmm. th this is the crux of the moral question because we're on I, I wouldn't necessarily want to say that this particular technology is on that spectrum but we can see the spectrum from here um, if, if I'm right and we're not on it we can see the spectrum from here and if I'm uh -huh. wrong and we are on it and your question is pertinent then we're on a spectrum the other side of which yeah. isn't us. We're a point along the way towards some other side of this thing. And right, right. That's that that that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, that is interesting though, because uh, that does put us. Um, I would say we are aligned somewhere on maybe that we that there is a gradient or there's a path, and then the question is just where are we on that path, and then we could then in some sense we could debate where, where that line falls today and maybe tomorrow and um, uh, based on, you know, some criteria we, we construct. Um, but it, uh, I wanted to ask about the third one you also mentioned. Uh, um, oh, yeah. So I said there was about three things you brought up there. Uh, um, yeah, I was talking about the uh, uh, how we cannot differentiate a, a human animal from an AI. If that's the case, um, AI is sufficiently complicated that we cannot explain how it works, then we have to treat it as an intelligent worthy of, of rights. Was there a third one or maybe it'll pop up later? Uh, well, so yeah, I mean, getting into, and this, this gets into sort of my ideas of institutional reform. Um, uh, institutions need to be indifferent to these questions uh, because we're going to be getting inputs from these, these different things. So, um, a plow doesn't care whether it's a horse or an ox or a human being that's pulling it. It works if mm -hmm. it's getting pulled, basically. Mm -hmm. um, right. The These things, I contend at this point, are just things. Um, they're things that are primarily under the control of shadowy groups with billions of dollars um, mm -hmm. whose motives have never been publicly questioned. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's very comforting, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm cool with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it always works out well for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've never even heard of a story where anything bad happened after it started like yeah. that. But uh, Yeah, only good things. <laughs> But those things are talking to us. Um, uh, systems like Alexa is, are getting AI-ified, um, and they already mm -hmm. can exist in some people's homes and interact with them and, and, and talk with them. Um, mm -hmm. our, our system of human society isn't indifferent to the peoples of those societies. When you change the people, you change the societies. Um, mm -hmm. There was 
there was an anthropological movement from about a century ago called Pots Not People, and the theory was that the occasional state changes that you see archaeologically in the technological basket being used by various cultures was an example of trade and communication. Um, in times before that, it was thought that such things indicated uh, basically genocidal conflict. Uh, mm -hmm. Modern genetic studies strongly suggest that genocidal conflict is a radically better uh, model of what's going oh, on than, than, than peaceful trade. Um, uh, it's not, it's not, you know, neither side is purely right or wrong, but the pot's not people. People are basically wrong about everything. Um, that the, oh. there's a, there's a very <laughs> radical genetic change that occurs when, when the technology changes. Uh, and, modifying our our civilizational control structures so that we can take advice from potentially intelligent agents or at the very least knowledge agents because even if these things are at some kind of plateau that we don't currently understand um, we're still going to have the internet and greatly increased sensor capacity and all sorts of other things that give us this huge torrent of new information that we aren't we're we're sort of working we're working as hard as we can with what we've got right now and and we have an exponentially expanding set of incoming systems so we need mm -hmm. things that can cope with that and I can imagine ways in which combinations of the techniques that are here today, plus the solutions to some problems that don't have published solutions yet, could be plugged into those sorts of data torrents in ways that could advise us helpfully. Um, uh -huh. mm -hmm. And that sort of system would have much more of either personhood in box type nature mm. or, or otherwise. But if, if we're going to get to there, then we mm. also are going to need to be in a case where we can, we have ethics and actual practices that allow us to judge and, and act with respect to these information streams in ways that we can be relatively indifferent to the motives of the, the agents involved because those are right. going to be examinable. Or yeah. Uh, one thing I want to mention uh, uh, before sort of a side topic, but I'm starting to wonder if, um, you know, this general question anyway of, is there a person in the box is going to be answered again by proof by intimidation. Um, I think one of the examples I, I've, I've kind of played with a little bit is the idea that, um, in a, say, ChatGPT were really fast and smooth, and you could converse with it like a normal human, and we start to feel like the Furby example, right? Like the, uh, the idea is um, it doesn't take much for us to believe that the thing is alive and listening and feeling pain. Um, it, in fact, maybe only takes 
a chip from 1986 or whatever it was, or 1990, and a few sensors. Um, uh, and if you were to put ChatGPT Chat behind it and made it fast enough that it felt fluid, uh, would we have on Fox News people discussing, of course it's not alive, it's a computer, and it, it's not originated from a soul, and on MSNBC they're going to be saying, well, look at it, um, it's crying, and uh, I, uh, it feels like it's alive, uh, therefore we need to ascribe to it. Um, I just wanted to put a little note on that that makes me believe that um, this conversation is really interesting to dive into. Is there a person in the box and how would we even prove that? But I wonder if we're going to be steamrolled anyway by a society that's saying that, that has determined this by democracy. Uh, well, yeah, and, and from that perspective, it gets very crazy very quickly. So there are some polities uh, that have made moves towards uh, – granting illegal aliens um, uh, the right to vote within local elections, for example. Uh, and that's, mm -hmm. that's a matter of national debate, and quite rightly so, because those polities don't distinguish the voter registrations in ways that allow you to be confident that they're distinguishing those votes from other elections in a, in a clean uh -huh. way. Uh, and of course, right. there's a long history of, uh, you know, Tammany Hall and other kinds of, mm -hmm. of organized uh, uh, electioneering around uh, uh, changing those things. And within a, a representative republic, obviously, actual voting power is is incredibly important. And so being able to toss warm bodies at something um, and get those acknowledged uh, has, has a great deal of effect on what the actual practical outcomes are. But, hey, here comes ChatGPT. Uh, certainly there's no short-term hope of it bellying up to a ballot box and demanding its right to vote. Um, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> With things like uh, uh, online voting, which which doesn't exist, you know, within the political structure, but uh, an online Twitter X Facebook poll um, certainly can affect, you know, congressional debates. Uh, right. Right. And and or a sea of opinion. Right. Sea of opinion. Yeah. The. The, the ability to produce fake online people is something that has gotten a lot easier yeah. and was already easy enough to be scary. Uh, yeah. But... At Reddit in 2015, we were experiencing the uh, fake news before Trump destroyed the term fake news was an interesting term about that the Russians would use to inject, uh, or at least we were seeing it from Russia, they would inject uh, ideas. And I think that the idea was that they were injecting um, uh, civil strife into the um, Hillary versus Trump election within the U.S. And so we were trying to sort out that, and that wasn't even with AI. That was just state actors. Right, yeah. Um, but beyond that, uh, creating fictionalized identifications, so mm -hmm. ginning up a birth certificate, um, yep. you know, or faking the existence of a birth certificate, things like that, creating um, a, a fake online a fake persona just in paperwork. There's ways that it's become harder. There's ways that it's become easier. 
combining mm -hmm. an AI with letter writing and other tools like that, it's relatively easy to imagine the production of non-existent citizens um, right. who could be on voter rolls and with absentee voting, um, votes a vote. Uh, and so, so once again, what happens when it's there's not 330 million people in the country what happens when there's 330 trillion people in the country and mm -hmm. you know 99.9999 percent <laughs> of them are chat gpt well uh yeah know, they'll never get called into congress to be asked you know to shrug their shoulders and pretend that they don't understand the basic questions that are that are at, at play here again after yeah, that happens yeah. uh unless and until they uh have control which you know I, I would imagine putting together a bank account doesn't seem like a much um further down the road from what you were saying getting a birth certificate now that you have a bank account now how about writing code for uh for contractual work and now do that at scale and now you've got money and now you can buy influence right or you know if you cashed a check from microsoft for 10 billion dollars uh and yeah <laughs> and it and turns to out that, that right that maybe you can get the cost of creating a, a false person down to around ten dollars then yeah uh you know it takes it takes 81 million votes to to win the presidency um i, I had an example of how easy it is to sway things like that right um on, i remember at pinterest um we were fighting spam and the spammers were far and away the best marketers like they would write all these bots to distribute content obviously a human writing a bot but it, there was still that little bit of bot with a little bit of ai they were trying to do and they got the most clicks and the most uh, engagement by far so they you know they knew exactly what to target um and so it makes me wonder um a few more steps of an, an ai and you'd be able to completely influence entire populace and there's there's uh there's people that are doing studies on precisely that out of social media um there's a mm -hmm. there's a former stanford professor uh who claims that google's ephemera um the like like uh, search completion, for example. Um, yeah. yeah. He has measured, he, he claims to have measured uh, multi-point shifts in uh, in mm. election results based, based on, on based on um, recordings that he's made of the ephemera combined with uh, polling and other measurements. And, and he also claims that it's intentional um, and his proof for this is that uh, when he calls them out on it and demonstrates that they're being watched, then it stops. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't mean that's in intentional. It could mean that there's some guy who's like, oh, crap, say no right. to that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> being, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that's really interesting. I, I have this this kind of gut feeling that the time when we know for sure, I guess another time we didn't use a sentience, but that kind of lumps in with all of this. But the time when we know for sure there's a sentient thing, it's going to come from some kind of a mundane model like the uh, prediction, you know, uh, right ahead stuff or um, a, a cupcake detector model that got really sophisticated. And you kept layering on until finally it said, hey, who am I? <laughs> 
uh, th there might be something to that. Um, I, I, I'm sympathetic to the view that uh, uh, interaction and indeed physical interaction is is very very important to such things, and so. Mm -hmm. um, some kind of AI layering into like Boston Dynamics has a much better shot at, at this. And again, it's, it's this kind of thing where I don't think that we're on the path, but I think we might be able to see the path from where we are. Right, um, right, right, right. That, that, that or um, there's been work done on uh, artificially breeding actual neurons in, yep. in computational systems. There was a mm -hmm. paper I saw just a couple weeks ago on programmable DNA computers. Mm -hmm. um, so I know that they use rat neurons to drive a, yes. a little remote control car. Yeah. Um, so, so those kinds of systems um, where, where we're working on biological substrates gives us access to some of this unbelievably dense sort of hyper Computation. computational systems yeah. that we might be able to, to sort of get into those things. Um, we have much, much better physical interacting systems with Boston Dynamics and some of the other leading robotics firms um, and drone technology. And so some combinations of these things may well get us to pets at the very least that we would mm -hmm. be at morally hopefully obligated, to, obligated uh, yeah. to treat uh, at least as well as we treat our dogs and cats. Um, but super intelligence is something that we also have active access to and which mm -hmm. again, ChatGPT and some of these other things might be able to smooth over. So right now, uh, there's been a little bit of work on like training a, a chess bot to then also be a a like backgammon bot or something, and, and mm -hmm. sort of encode both things into one model. Um, okay. But if a chat bot had enough understanding of what the words chess and backgammon and checkers and parcheesi and poker and go meant, um, then you could sort of you know toss the rules according to Hoyle into several different arrays where one part would say, okay, I'm going to go off and split off like, you know, a bunch of different things and figure out how to play all these different games according to the rules. And then, and then somewhat like, uh, uh, you know, the Wolfram Alpha, when somebody asked me to play Pinnacle, I'll just understand you know, I'll understand enough that it wants mm -hmm. to have an interface. And so I'll do my interfacey thing and, and I'll go ask, you know, Pinnacle Fred, what cards to play. <laughs> cause, uh -huh. cause that's what Pinnacle Fred knows. Like he, he doesn't understand anything except for how to play perfect Pinnacle. Um, right. And so then that's just that, that kind of a system could make these super intelligent type things more excessively usable. But right, then right. we have the other kind of moral challenge of how do we how do we arrange these things? So again, like I go back to medicine a lot, but if 
if you need a doctor's prescription to be able to acquire certain kinds of remedies, which you do, um, and there's another system that can produce better predictions, but you can't use that system's recommendations to acquire mm-hmm. remedies because right. we um, haven't right. hardened those systems in ways that wouldn't allow you to manipulate them to get remedies for illicit purposes. Like there's a whole, there's a whole set of ethical problems that we have to solve so that we can start using these things that again, don't cure cancer or cause immortality or anything, you know, crazy, but reduce misdiagnosis by 10% or 50% mm-hmm. or 90%. And we don't know like how big that, that dial can turn. We just know that it can turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by not doing that, we're killing people effectively. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Right. When, when I say, when I say that, you know, this culture is dead, I'm <laughs> not kidding. Like that, that is yeah. true. We are actively and knowingly killing people, exploiting people, committing fraud, you know, like because we know that we know how to do better. We just don't know how to use the things that we know that are better. And so we're not doing it. Right, right. (laughs) Are there questions we could ask ChatGPT to then assess where it is on the spectrum from computational unit to cat or mouse or cat or whatever, to human, to beyond human. Um, and does that, does that approach make sense? Uh, that's, that's an interesting idea. Um, and I think it's, it's probably something that uh, uh, we, could, we could probably work on. The, the challenge I see is multifarious, one of which is that if you're doing it openly and publicly and you're a popular site then you you're so i I am convinced that the reason ChatGPT can presently play chess is because one of the biggest channels on youtube publicly ridiculed their (laughs) play chess like i see no reason why that wouldn't be why they can play chess Um, i don't imagine that they you know stuck war and peace in there and hadn't done it before and we're like oh wow now it plays chess like i don't think that happened or i don't right. think that they randomly decided to throw you know bobby fisher's autobiography in there or something and then it was like oh it now it's generalized right yeah right right, right. I, I think that so those are unlikely <laughs> So your worry is that uh, if we were sufficiently large publicly, we might influence our own experiment. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, okay. I think that, that this would be well, a, between... an ongoing challenging thing. Like <laughs> uh-huh. if you do it once and you get some hints, then you have to sort of go back to the drawing board and come up with a completely new kind of set of ideas to, to get the next set of hints. Okay, okay. So we are now both motivated uh, in two different directions. One, to get the channel larger because that would be fun and whatever else, uh, but also to keep us small so that we can continue to have these discussions without – interference or interfering <laughs> uh no no i think i think we go huge and we get such an enormous following okay. that we get that internet thing going on where all okay, of the okay. internet uh, is simultaneously <laughs> trying to figure out the problem from so many angles that they can't keep up anymore that's the answer okay i, li- I like it let's just let's do it it should be easy i don't think there's gonna be a problem here and that's then, right uh, 
And then what was the other issue uh, you you were saying about um, about the challenge with this? Well, the other side is like what is what you know. You you talked about going down the consciousness rabbit hole and and how Mm -hmm. how thin the gruel actually is. Um, Right. uh, That's uh, one of the ones that that I've heard before is. Again, I keep going back to medicine, but uh, one of the specialties in medicine is anesthesiologist. So mm-hmm. there's people who are experts on the drugs that <laughs> change the consciousness states of human beings. Those right. people don't claim to understand consciousness at all. Right. Um, right. That's not they part just of know what how to they alter do. it. Right. Yeah. yeah. They're just like when you put this thing in the body like that. You know, in yeah. these concentrations, then the person seems to then the person's arms stop moving, or they can't feel yeah, pain yeah. in their right side, and then, or yeah. they're. And it not, is interesting you mentioned yeah. this uh, because uh, whenever you start looking up consciousness, you also very quickly run into the LSD and shroom uh, groups, um, which I think is to the same point. They don't know how it works. All they know is when they take shrooms, the walls start melting. Right. Yeah. Well, LSD. Um, we have a mechanical explanation um oh interesting so there's there's some neural transmittery thing um and so this is the this is the deal with lsd this is like why it why people can get flashbacks a long time ago this is why it affects people at such incredibly tiny doses um so the, the guy that originally discovered lsd um basically told his colleagues that he was hallucinating uh and they were like, well, uh, because of the thing you're working with. And they were like, oh, well, you're insane, like, because you're hallucinating that this thing could affect you at the kinds of doses that you're talking about actually working with, which is impossible. Like, nothing can actually work that way. So the LSD molecule is is kind of very small and is almost the right shape to fit through this neural transmitter but it isn't the right mm-hmm. shape to fit through. So it gets like stuck inside oh, uh-huh. these critical, these critical neural transmitters and then cause them to behave very, very differently. And so they can get stuck in for a long time and just kind of teeter totter and, or they can just, or, you know, like the pachinko machine, it can just go straight. Yeah. And so uh-huh. it just goes right through and then it doesn't do anything. Um, or it can kind of get stuck, but not quite there and just kind of like sit there for like a decade and then get toddled and fall in and start monkey wrenching for a little while before yeah, it to- yeah. and that's like how it works. Um, well, so I think this is what I want to do with ChatGPT. I want to put in the LSD equivalent. I want to do the, do you, do you, do you, what, what's the famous example of the guy? I think it was the 1800s. He was tamping down, um, uh, explosive material on the railroad, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, spike he, got, goes, he got a spike through his skull, and uh, and it changed his personality. Yes, that the importance of certain parts of the temporal lobe. Right, right. So I, I want to do the equivalent of the spike through the head, the spike through the or the LSD, and see if we can pick it apart a little bit. I mean, it would be very blunt, and it, and it wouldn't really be answering the question of is it a consciousness, but it'd be interesting to find well, the tools that's, to assess that. That's where, if we could get their cooperation, a lot more could be done because we could actually turn on or off certain parts of it. Um, so I recall right, right, right. when the when Google's GoBot was, AlphaGo was, was taking the world by storm, mm-hmm. um, 
they released several games of it playing against other people where it was, you know, crushing them. But they also released several games of it playing games against itself. Um, sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, Perfect Go or whatever. Uh, which, of course, you know, yeah. good but not that good. But one of the interesting things that they'd done is that the the system actually had several different modules for analyzing the games. And so they released games of the modules playing against each other. So mm-hmm. there was a influence module that was sort of figuring out how how much of the board um, was within a few spaces of like an open group. Um, okay. uh, influence and go. When you place down a stone or connect a stone to an existing group, um, it has the ability to sort of be involved in things that are near it that that is open territory. And so that's known as influence. So they had an influence sort of checker and they had a territorial checker um, that mm-hmm. was sort of counting up points and sort of figuring out what, what best most points were. And so human beings lost to both of these things. The territorial mm-hmm. checkers beat us. The influence checkers beat us. So, but the influence versus territorial checker game the influence game crushed the territorial game consistently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh. So, so whatever's inside ChatGPT, um, um, if if we could get OpenAI's cooperation to like turn off, you know, stick the railroad spike in, um, mm-hmm. and then kind of see what happens around what's left. Um, that would, yeah, that would that'd be give neat. us much more powerful intuitions around those sorts of behavioral and consciousness type questions that you're interested right, in. Right, right. The spike through the parameter list or something. Um, well, short of that, it'd be interesting to, maybe we can go and explore some questions that would at least probe in that direction, the the soft spike through the, the head. <laughs> right. Um, I'm thinking uh, we should call it here, uh, partly because I'm realizing that I'm a sentient being that has observed that he has to go to the bathroom at some point here. Um, and so I, my motivation now lies elsewhere. Um, okay. but I'm thinking, uh, it'd be fun to come back on this topic, maybe with a series of psychological probing questions. I don't know what they would be yet, but, uh, we can go do our research, um, and dive back on. Yeah, Absolutely. So now we should be on YouTube at this point uh, when this comes out. <laughs> um, uh, we're also still on Spotify, and uh, we should start showing up in Apple Podcasts, if I understand right, and uh, just search for The Fourth Age. Um, and what's the other thing they always say at the end of these? Um, yeah, put some comments down there, because that would be really fun to interact um, with, with comments on this. Comments, like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. Yeah, all the stuff they're supposed to, we're supposed to say, right? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Yes. Well, we've Thank just you. discovered that we have a moral duty to become large enough to get ChatGPT to give us access to the, the back end. Uh, so. Okay, good, good. We got to do we'll it. work on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Until next time.